Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, excuse me, what's today's Chef Special? Welcome to Chef Special, the podcast that brings you the world of food and beverage with facts and information that challenge the status quo. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Honeywell, with Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, your best food destination choice. Today, I am very excited to have on the show Don Guerra from Barrio Bread, located in Tucson, Arizona. Barrio Bread showcases the art and science of Don's passion for baking and his commitment to community. In 2016, Don was named one of the top 10 bakers in America by Desert Professional Magazine and is a 2020 James Beard semifinalist. Hey, Don, thanks for joining the show today. Oh, no, thanks for having me, Patrick. So excited to be here with you. So, Don, your bakery is located in Tucson, Arizona. Isn't Tucson listed as a city of gastronomy? Yeah, so um, we, were ch- we were selected as the first city in North America for the designation of a city of gastronomy under UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. So that's an umbrella, but you know we were given that title to, because we have shown, um, like, first and foremost, uh, agricultural evidence for 4,500 years. So that's part of it to show you how this longstanding agricultural history, but also it's about um, best practices. It's about your ability to create knowledge networks um, internationally and share information. And we're really good at that. We're really proud of what we do, but we're also not scared to share information, to show our best practices, to show the things we're excited about and to see other people do it and be successful. So to me, that, that part of UNESCO is who I am. You know, I'm an educator, mm. graduated from the College of Education. And so education is a huge part of Barrio Bread. It's a huge part of um, Don Guerra and, you know, running my bakeries. It's, it's, we have to share information to push it forward because, you know, I want to see my bakery and, and my, I want my legacy to be growing grains in my community and people skilled at bread making, which is like really what we're seeing now with this whole coronavirus, people staying at home. It's in New mm. York Times, it's in the Boston Globe oh, of all this resurgence sourdough baking mm-hmm. and people sharing information. So yeah, education is huge, but um, this is what I love to do. Now, Don, you had once told me that you had studied anthropology. How did you transition to baking? Well, really for me, I'm a, you know, I'm a visual kinesthetic learner and I've always been that person that needed to use my hands to, you know, discover through like a tactile experience. Mm -hmm. And anthropology to me and the study of it was fascinating, right? I love Mm -hmm. to study cultures, the travel of food, these cultural um, norms and really evolution of people. That's that's super fascinating to me. I I love information, right? I just crave it. I want to. I always want to gather information and apply it to my life. But with anthropology, it was fascinating. But I kind of got to that point where I thought, what what can I do with this? I'm not mm. really the graduate school type. I I believe I'm a pretty smart guy. But I'm not. That I think so. Smart, but I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just not that sort of smart. I'm a lot of my intelligence is like the social intelligence. You know, there's all these different levels of intelligence, but social intelligence is is my game, right? Mm-hmm. And so entrepreneurship 
the study of anthropology, the study of education, entrepreneurship. These are all things that kind of fit into my life, you know, and this, even the science and the arts. So baking me like combined all of these things. And so when I found bread, like, you know, really the first day in that little bakery in Flagstaff where I got mm -hmm. that first baking job, I was there in the bakery and it just hit me like, this is what I want to do with my life. I'm going to find a way to, to make this my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And wow. you know, someone, someone could say, oh, that's kind of corny or whatever. But it was kind of like love at first sight, you know, like you, it hits you, you got it, you got to be with it. So that was it for me, you know, and I, and I just spent a lot of time reading books. When I go to the bakery for work, it wasn't like, oh, wow, bummer, I have to go to work. It was like, you know, hours before I'm saying to myself, I can't wait to get in there. I'll show up early. I'll ask if anything needs to be done or prepped. And, you know, moment to moment, every minute was a learning experience. And outside of, outside of working at the bakery, I read every book in that Flagstaff library. I'd sit mm. down in the chair and, and I read every single baking book on that shelf, you know, and it's before the internet. So, hey, we had books to read. We weren't, we weren't watching YouTube videos. So when you were starting out, Don, did you have a baking mentor? You know, I think it was just about getting lucky. And that's kind of been my life as being in the right time at the right place, the right place at the right time, I'd say. Um, I never really chose to seek people out. I had some travel, of course, you know, I did kind of a, a national tour. I went to go see George Teese in California and look at some bakeries around California, went to the East Coast and met Dan Leader, you know, and I remember writing him a letter and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm from Arizona. I plan to go to the East Coast. I saved my money. I bought a ticket. I showed up at this back door of this bakery in Roysville, New York, and thankfully he was there you know there was no text messages to confirm it but i just showed up and you know p things like that but i did have a good experience a really powerful experience is when i in 1993 i was working in flagstaff and just kind of a poor you know poor poor guy you know didn't have a lot of money um love baking but i thought i gotta try to find some other baking experiences so i went down to phoenix worked at the boulders resort as a bread baker i made some good money there i worked a lot of hours and they paid me well but i i was looking around for other baking jobs because i really want to make european style bread right i want to i wanted to make that bread that i saw on the cover of bread alone dan leader's book but i didn't know how to do it but one day driving around on my day off i spot a little bakery called arizona bread and um, michelle uh, suez who's now who was a founder of san francisco baking institute he was the consultant um, handling that project for a family um, from Cleveland, Ohio, who were had sandwich shops. They're like sub sandwiches in, in Ohio, but had no baking experience. Tom Leonard was the baker who would be there to train staff, he and Michelle. And so I walked in there one day, I saw paper in the windows, I saw this equipment, you know, deck oven being installed and spiral mixers. And I, I walked in and, you know, Tom Leonard's looked at me and talked to me for a second and looked at that family and said, you need to hire this guy. You know, he, he could be the person to teach you guys how to make the bread. And so I lucked out. I didn't know Michelle. I, he, I didn't know who he was back then. I didn't know who Tom Leonard was really back then. And he's you know a legend, someone who's really not talked about too much, but he, he was one of pioneer 
but yeah, I started making, I started making bread for them. I worked a year and a half for their company. I grew the business from the ground up and then I moved back to Flagstaff to open the village baker after saving a lot of money, writing a business plan. I went to bis I went to business school at a community college the same time I was baking at that bakery. So I never slept, but I spent a year and a half developing a business plan and working at that bakery went back up to Flagstaff and, you know, as a young kid, 25 years old, got some funding, a loan, $70,000 loan to open my first shop, Village Baker in 1995 on a bootstrap budget of $102,000 and a lot of, a lot of sweat because we remodeled that bakery, you know, put a lot of time in sanding floors Mm. and painting and bootstrapped it, but got it open. And uh, yeah, then there was the bakery in Ashland that, you know, was successful in, in Flagstaff. And, you know, at the time I was a mountain biker, snowboarder. So I wanted to go check out some new terrain and I had some friends training in, in Oregon. So I went up there and found it to be super pleasant, decided to do another bakery there and, you know, stayed there four years and it was great. It was great, but it, it came. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it, it was amazing place. But what I found out is that I grew my business so quickly that I wasn't a baker anymore. I was a manager. I think at the height of it, you know, being 28, I had 30 employees. I really didn't know know how to manage them because I could barely manage myself. You know, I'm a kid. I'm a kid managing kids. So and they're all my friends, which makes it even more difficult, right? But I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about what not to do and and you know how to treat your staff and how to be a good leader, but. What happened was I ended up getting super stressed out, um, selling the bakeries, and then moving with my wife back to back to uh, Tucson and going to school. I enrolled at the College of Education, and I thought that would be a good study because I would have to like kind of reinvent myself in a way, but always with the thought that I would get my bakery back, and I would do it, and I would try to do it. I don't know why, but I gave myself, I said nine years. If I don't get my bakery back within a, a decade, I think it's going to slip me by. But I ended up getting it back in seven years. I taught seven years public school. I baked, you know, bread often, but then it was my last year of teaching. I opened that little bakery in my garage. So I went pretty much did farmer's market on the weekend. And I did school bread, which I call Thursday school bread. I made bread for my staff, but I converted my bakery into a, a cool shop with separate separate uh you know air conditioning heating plumbing i maxed out my my panel at my house with a, all my equipment i had a three-door reaching cooler as my retarder i had a a blend deck oven two decks um bench racks and i just got super excited about doing what they do in mexico or in europe and and that's just having these cool little bakeries attached to your house that was you know, for me, super interesting. And I, at the time, everyone thought I was totally nuts, but I had seen it before traveling in Europe and in Mexico. I knew it was Mm -hmm. possible, but yeah, for, you know, like 30,000 bucks, I fired up a really cool bakery that generated some good cash um, and went down to a one person show basically, and just really zeroed in on my bread and recreated some new loaves. And then the local grains came along and then the rest is history. You know, that's kind of like my start, just being a community supported baker. And that's where the education came into it. You know, being 
a graduate of the, the College of Ed taught me a lot about how to be an effective leader, how to set up effective um, lessons. And I did that every day in my bakery when I was working alone, knowing someday I'll have a, a bakery where I'll have staff. But how to, how to create like the best learning environment once I get there. I wasn't in a rush, of course, you know, it was like, took me eight years working solo in my garage. I'm not sure I'd recommend that long-term because it's, man, it's like total isolation on yourself, but it was a very like introspective time where I, I learned about myself, learned about my bread, learned about sourdoughs and fermentation and really about what it takes to go from very little to a whole lot, right? As far as like bootstrapping a business. And that's what I, I recommend to people now getting into the game is, hey, you know, make it a hobby, start to practice. Don't go out and spend a quarter million dollars and get a shop and not have a lot of experience, you know, doing it before you really have to commit to it and do it. Makes good sense. Right. So that's, that's very interesting. So moving forward, you have uh, your bakery now. Yeah. And what, what year did you open that one? Let's when see, 2000, 2015, 2016. Yeah, 2015. And I, yeah, it was 2015. And then it was November, right around Thanksgiving. So it was quick to be 2016. But I, what I did is I, I wasn't sure when I was going to get out of the garage. And that was really the frustrating part for me is, you know, having some money, but not enough. You know, I had saved $130,000 out of working in the garage, which was cool. I, I paid myself a teacher's salary. I made 900 loaves a week. I put away all my cash I could, saved it, um, didn't spend a lot of money on myself or any frivolous things, lived simply. But I saved that money. But what really was amazing is I was applying for grants along the way. And I really struck it with this uh, USDA grant. It was the third grant I applied for, the third big grant. And I thought, hmm. okay, I'll go one more time. I struck out twice with these other grants, three strikes, I'm out. I'll <laughs> give up for a while. I kind of played this baseball rule on it. But the yep. USDA, I found this local food promotion grant. And uh, the grant, as I was reading it, it just felt like it was me. It was about um, someone, in the, someone in the community making a food product with local agriculture, serving it to community and having an educational approach. And I was, wow, this is, I'm writing this grant. Yeah. And it took months. It took, you know, the, the USDA moves slowly, right? So it was months. I'm checking my emails every day. And before I get out of bed, looking at my phone and then, you know, one day, I looked at my phone and it said, you've been awarded this grant. And I just flew out of bed. I couldn't believe it, $100,000 that I didn't have to pay back. So I took the money I saved um, out of my garage with the grant, $100,000. And that was, gave me the quarter million to start my new bakery, Barrio Bread. Mm. Barrio 2.0, yeah. With the staff, with a small staff, with a super beautiful pull-in deck oven, eight, eight meter oven a cool space oven. with big windows, but a place where I could finally show my community what I do. Because before that, it was kind of this myth, right? I'm in this garage and no one knows how the was like, you know, he's infamous, but I show up at these places and everyone's like, wow, look at that bread. And I'm one eye open because I've been up all night, you know? 
So, Don, tell me about your work with local farmers and your work with Heritage Grain. That came around in 2011. So after I started, you know, baking bread out of the garage, um, this whole project came around. It was like amazing that this grant happened with um, Native Seed Search, Chris Bianco, Hayden Flower Mills, Avalon Gardens, like this SARE grant. It's called Sustainable Agriculture Research Education Grant. So it was like this, mm -hmm. trying to reinvigorate the local grain economy with starting uh, to grow chapalote corn, which is a heritage corn, and white Sonoran wheat in Tucson. And these two crops, you know, had dated back to the Father Kino, even the, the corn before that, but the white Sonoran wheat was traced back to Father Kino, late 1960s, 90s. But, you know, Jeez. this this uh, this project is really what, like, got me so excited these were farmers or these were seed savers that knew you know wheat is like okay it's a crop but for to me you know i came in as as like the test baker you know they said okay don if we do this like what what are you going to do with it what can you do with it and i mm -hmm. thought wow this aha moment where i had always been ripping open bags of flour in the past thinking where does this stuff come from where does powder come from it was it was bread flour. It was like a whole wheat. It was like a rye. You got three choices, right? But it was not back mm -hmm. when we thought about varieties or varieties of wheat. You know, it's not a wheat bread. There's thousands of varieties of wheat. But, you know, back mm. then we didn't think about it. But now it was the thought of, hey, you know, we can trace this back to a farmer. We can trace this back to a person. We can trace this back to a handshake saying, hey, I'm going to buy this much grain from you. Let's plant it and see what happens. So it's a lot of the relationship, right? But this came around and it was just all new to everybody. And, you know, that first night I baked bread overnight and pulling and mixing the dough with this, this new grain that was like rudimentary milled and pulling it out of the oven. It was, it was the moment where I thought this is going to be the future. That's 2011. I think a lot of it before anyone thought this would become a thing. But it just blew me away and I knew like this was going to be my path and I was going to do the most I could with it. And that's really where my educational side came in, you know, as a, I label myself a CSB, a community supported baker. But it was about mm -hmm. teaching the importance of preserving these grains and having diversity of these wheat varieties to grow in, in these communities, but also the to save and to kind of re reinvigorate revitalize the traditions of sourdough baking you know back when mm. farmers you know were growing grains for bakers and that every baker's bread was different why because it was different wheats it wasn't this huge monocrops we're getting from general mills or you know who knows where it's this bread has flavor part of it's part of it's the baker of course how they ferment the grain you know i can make bread with just about anything but mm -hmm. it's about these varieties that have this expression what makes it all different so and you know and that's just taken off globally right we've seen this whole global mm -hmm. like excitement and and explosion but um yeah it started back then and it got me really pumped up that i could use all the parts of my past you know the anthropology the education the entrepreneurship the science the art um you know it all made mm. sense to me but uh it was all fragmented back then, but it all came together when I, when I really needed to. 
So yeah, and it, and since then it's you know we're we're still growing with the local grain economies. We're still growing with seeing um, the importance of wheat. I think now more than ever with the COVID virus, how many people are baking bread at home? How many you know there's no yeast, so people are having to bake bread with sourdough. I mean, this is amazing. I and I give it away free at my bakery to have these bread lessons like we'll talk about online. But uh, I think it's just like here I am again at the right, right time. And, you know, I don't, not bragging about it. It's just sometimes how my life works. And I'm, mm -hmm. and I don't think I bring it on as much as like people around me, like give me the courage to be this person. Right. So mm -hmm. it's just sort of like people push me out there and say, do it. We're with you. And then it becomes my tribe. So Don, let's talk a little bit about bread science. What happens during the bread's fermentation process? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's so exciting. It's like this, the science part that's so fascinating to me, but through acidification, you know, using these, these sourdough cultures, that's the acid load on the medium. So those bacterial and yeast microbes break down starches, you know, they have a huge appetite for starch. So once you, once you get those built up and you introduce them to more flour and water, and salt to make this dough, they go to work, you know, they even go to work even building a sourdough culture, but to building a batch of dough, to making it uh, low gluten, basically that's what happens is they, they start to consume the starches and break it down and make a shift from simple to complex carbohydrate through, um, yeah, basically the enzymes, enzymes reactions. And then the, the gluten, the protein is denatured because of the acid. So once you get mm -hmm. a once you get this medium this dough to 4.3 pH this magic starts to happen where you activate enzymes they denature the proteins and by the by the time it goes through a 24 hour fermentation both at ambient and then cool you have mm -hmm. a virtually a, a low gluten almost virtually free gluten bread and yeah it's done through time management and uh, temperature management but these yeast and bacterial cultures are microbes. They're, they favor different environments. So bacteria are more activated at a cooler, produce some of those sourdough notes, and then yeast cell activity at the beginning of the dough mix, that's when you see a lot of yeast cell activity in the growth of the bread. But this is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a super science guy. This is, you know, I love anatomy, physiology, biology, some chemistry, some physics, but I'd say I don't get too into the science part besides knowing basically what happens but i love to just see nature unfold but mm. when you see nature unfold and then you taste the results and then you feel the results of these people eating the bread saying you know oh i don't eat bread i can't eat bread because it gives me a lot of digestive um problems but now you take this einkorn this ancient ancient wheat the most primitive form of wheat never been modified it's the most it's the foundational grain. You take that and whole millet, sourdough processed, someone eats it that's gluten-free, no reaction. Wow. They're just astounded that this can be such a healthy food for their, their diet and that they can digest it. So really it's like the science and art. And of course my bread, I've been working with it so long, you know, almost 30 years, so it has to be beautiful. You know, it, to mm -hmm. me, it's like I have my own style and I think Every baker does, but I kind of have this like rustic style where the colors are really robust through the long fermentations. 
pans, mm -hmm. rust, blondes, browns, and that's the expression of the grain varieties themselves. But that's fermentation. But to get these breads to be beautiful, I mean, we eat with our eyes first. And so when you come to Barrio Bread and you're looking on the shelves, you see all these different shades of browns and tans and golds. And it's, you know, to me, like- It's amazing. It, it, it's my gallery, right? You know, even mm. though, um, you know, I have staff making it, it comes from somewhere and they're doing a beautiful job now of like learning my methods. And I have become a better- teacher basically i'm i have my classroom i'm a i'm an excellent i feel like i'm an excellent teacher by because i went through the the program at the university so i'm a better leader i'm a better person um i can set up really solid learning systems and so my staff is really i'm so thankful for them i'm thankful for my sales staff and you know even dating back to when i was in the garage i had this sales staff that used to help me at the farmer's market that you know, like I said, it's, it's the encouragement of people that got me to where I am. But all those things, you know, kind of like force an artist to get out there and be sure of themselves when they're not sure. So I think, you know, whether you re relate it to music or whatever as a visual artist, or it's about like, you know, getting that encouragement from people. So I, f I feel like my bread is who I am, but who I am is the result of who my people are, you know. So Don, I, I think back a little bit uh, when we brought you to Chef Bakery in LA to consult for us. We just purchased a couple of new deck ovens and wanted to introduce some cool, amazing artisan breads to our customers. You came in and patiently shared your knowledge and approach to producing your bread. I learned so much in three days you were there. Your general approach to bread through the process and the importance of time in developing flavor, textures, and your signature killer crust. Do you do a lot of outside consulting? I remember you're mentioning working with a huge olive importer. Yeah, Delalo in the Pittsburgh area. So Don, can you tell me a little bit about your consulting project with Delalo Foods? Yeah, well, they have a lot of different projects and they, they're the largest um, olive importer in North America. I mean, they have the, wow. this enormous facility. It's like 20 football fields full, or 20 football fields big. You have to drive around a golf cart, but they have orchards around the world um, but the olive is one of their things, olive oil, olives, but a lot of different, you know, pastas, but they do make bread. They have this amazing stores or stores where they, they do in-house bakery. Um, but most of it is yeasted bread. And so they were just wanting to, and this is someone else I met at IVIE. They, they wanted to, um, you know, have some rustic loaves at their shop and kind of update their bread from being, you know, kind of light colored and overly yeasted crispy crust mm. but you know something that no character beautiful. right right mm -hmm. something so yeah i was hired by them and it's really fun to go in because i feel like you know as an educator you, you know and when i was teaching year to year classroom classroom you don't know who what you're going to get right you just know there's going to mm -hmm. be students and but it's up to you with what you have and really break down this sort of fear in the classroom or, or break down some of the personalities that maybe say, oh, well, I got this. This is how I do it. So you have to come in there and be very gentle, right? Yeah. And so once you're gentle with people and once you once they understand that you're not there to change who they are, what they do, but to support them, I think you have the shift in learning. So yeah, it's a lot of like these projects I go in and, you know, 
it happened in Mexico too, where you get these, I had these Latino guys, these Mexican guys that had been bakers for years. And they're like, who's this young guy teaching? <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the end, this one guy who was so rough and tough, macho guy, hugged me. And then someone mm. said, you know what? That guy's never hugged anybody. You know, but Don, you are you are pretty cute. I mean, come on, admit it. <laughs> well, shucks, thanks. But it, it's it's awesome. Like just to be that, just to I've learned a lot, you know, through that college of ed experience. But it's really been my love of people, and uh, the bread is that bread is like the unknown. You don't know what you're gonna get too, and so it's it's more about this sometimes nonverbal communication. So like you had mentioned, like how I know the dough. I don't, I don't read that in books. I didn't read it in books necessarily, but it's like, what is the dough telling you at that time? And it's a lot of repetition, exactly. but it's a lot of like caring. It's a lot of looking at something and you know, how you look at people sometimes, what do they need? What are they kind of calling out for um, without talking to you? So you kind of have to just be this, and I think that's why bakers are who they are, right? And I think you would agree on this, that we're all cut from the same cloth, that you meet bakers around the world. And if you really meet a genuine baker, they're pretty close to who you are. If you're, you know, if you're the baker, because you have this personality that only the dough accepts, right? So the dough kind of shapes the baker. The baker doesn't shape the dough. So you're only successful wow. as a baker. And you look at the top bakers in this country, and in the world, you hang out with them, and I have. You know, I've been all over the world hanging out with these bakers. And I have the best time because I see myself in them. They see themselves in me. Mm -hmm. It's genuine. It's gentle. It's humble. And, yeah, you just, you just, you realize, like, the world's small, right? You, you realize that we're not so different. We might speak, you know, different languages, but you're, you're basically the same people. Hey, Don, you were chosen to be co-chef at the James Beard Awards Gala. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, this person, her name is Patti Yannick, and she is an amazing person. She's got this like incredible show that I absolutely love. My daughter and I are like her big fans. We want to bow down to Patti. But her, mm -hmm. her um, show is called Patti's Mexican Table, and you can stream it on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. and uh, also NPR. But she... She's this amazing woman. She's got this incredible personality and she cooks the most amazing, delicious food. And um, she loves to travel in Mexico. She's recently um, in Tucson, but yeah, she, she found out about me and she really loved my story and reached out and with the help of Visit Tucson and she wrote my endorsement for James Beard award and she came to the bakery and we did a sh uh, episode together and it was it was an incredible show but she she and I are going to eventually have when everything kind of cools out to go to the James Beard house we were supposed to go May 4th but it's postponed but she and I will be co-chefs at the James Beard house making dinner for um, James Beard president 55 guests and pairing my bread with her food and it's total complete honor that Patti would choose me um, to be that co-chef and I said I'm, I'm just blown away incredibly humble but it'll be a good day it'll be a really good day when, when I can get there and just show off my simple breads. So Don you offer classes on making bread at breadlessons.com 
Would you have a recipe that you can share now with our listeners? You know what I want to share is like something incredibly simple. So if someone's listening to this and they're not a baker, I'm going to share a pizza dough recipe that anybody could make. I have six-year-old kids coming into the bakery that are like, check me out, look at my mom's phone. I took a picture of, I made this pizza. But yeah, simple pizza, pizza dough. So um, four cups flour, and you can blend it with maybe three cups bread flour, one cup whole wheat, or all bread flour, whatever. So four cups flour, two cups, and maybe just a smidgen more of water, a teaspoon of yeast, a tablespoon of salt. Mix that up. And my, my approach to mixing and kneading is don't try to conquer it in five minutes. Start to mix it, incorporate, you know, bring the, bring the flour, introduce the flour to the water just with your hands, like a kid in the mud, just squeezing it, squeezing it, run your hands through it, and then let it rest, you know, do that five minutes, let it rest for another 10, 15, 20, come back to it, and then you'll notice some development of the gluten, which will, every time you let it rest, it'll come back in a, in a better form. Time is, time is the most important ingredient. So do that a couple of times until it's taking you 45 minutes and then you should let the dough rest for about an hour, give it a stretch and fold. So maybe just a light little kneading once more, let it rest another half an hour and you got this great pizza dough. Wow. I mean, you can ball it up, you can put it in the fridge, you can have it four hours later, you can have it the next day, you can have it 48 hours. I just made my son some pizza last night. Uh, with a 48-hour dough that was just straight baker's yeast. But yeah, it's a simple recipe, and it's a great start for someone who's intimidated by sourdough. Was that the pizza you posted on Instagram, the one you said you did with your son? Yeah, just then. That was did gorgeous. Oh, yeah, and he's he's a vegetarian, and a lot of what he eats is vegan too, and he and his sister. So it, it shows that if you just have a good bread base, you can put anything you want to get creative and you can have delicious food. So easy. But yeah, if you want to take it simple, uh, even further, you know, I have breadlessons.com, B-R-E-A-D, lessons.com. It's my new website. I made it, you know, about a year and a half ago and it wasn't that popular. It was a summer when I developed these uh, video courses with a videographer from the university because I don't idle, right? So summertime when I'm slow, I'm always looking for something to do, but I spent <laughs> about 30 hours making these videos. The pizza video is free. You can get on there and, and download the pizza video. The sourdough baking is basically my bread, but I show a whole grain spell, and I'll take you through a very, very simple, straightforward, no-nonsense approach to sourdough baking. What I've learned over the past 30 years, it shouldn't be complicated, um, but it's something that's totally valuable now with everyone and the COVID making bread at home. I sold so many of those lessons recently, mm. but not that I'm bragging about the sales, but I want to brag about all these people in my community. I've taught over 700 people, sold 250 bread lessons in like three weeks. You can find it by going to my, my Barrio Bread website. So That's Barrio what I was going to ask you, Barrio Bread. <laughs> no, link right there. Perfect. It'll take you to Bread Lessons. So okay. you know, $15 right now, top price. The course, use the code flatten the curve, get that discount, and you can have 15 for $15, my sourdough course, which is 50 minutes, and the pizza video, which everyone should know how to make a pizza dough. Hey, let's, let's slow down the dominoes because everyone can do it. So this is kind of like what I love to do, just inspire people to, to DIY their own bread right now. Mm -hmm. 
and everyone can and everyone should because right now i think in this type of history we haven't we're going to have this appreciation for foundational foods artisanal products like learn how to do it because when you learn how to do it you gain appreciation and then if you gain appreciation you really have a lot more value for people who are doing it professionally and it really slows down your life where you understand like what's value we're a thirst buster culture we you know that's what i like to say is we can go to circle k and push the Mountain Dew level lever at two o'clock at night and it better come out or we get really upset. We've got your website and then we also have lessons, which that price is super low. So, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I you're, hope just, you're giving does. it away. That's my intention, right? Definitely. Like when I saw this happening, you know, I, I just thought I'm going to, I want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to get into it. There's mm -hmm. really, say with my bread, it's not overly expensive, but I want to make sure that everyone has a chance to get into learning opportunities, access to knowledge and access to good food. Mm, amazing. So at last, the last question in, on Instagram, a couple things. I know when I go onto your website, Don, the photos are gorgeous um, that you have posted and a lot of yeah. cool pictures of you and your family, but also on your Instagram, what is your Instagram account you can share with everybody? And yeah. I'll also post this as well um, when we do the show, when I post the show. Yeah, so my Instagram account is Barrio Bread, B-A-R-R-I-O-B-R-E-A-D. So Barrio Bread, like my company. And I have a personal account, Barrio Baker, um, B-A-R-R-I-O-B-A-K-E-R. -E and Barrio Baker is something I like to do more family or, you know, like my kids. And I do a lot of cycling and fitness stuff. So I just kind of act goofy on that. And I love that one. I just want to say thanks for the opportunity. I, I love the travel and, you know, from and meeting you for the first time, talking to you on the phone, and I should go back to that point, but I, I just knew it was gonna be a great connection, and oh, uh, you're a super cool you. guy, and I was <laughs> the seeing you and riding in your little car to the hotel, and yeah. picking up the next day, I was like, you know what? This is what life's about. It's about relationships, meeting people, new experiences, and appreciation for not knowing what's going to happen. But mm. what happens in the end, if you're a genuine person around genuine people, Mm. is good stuff, right? Mm. So good yeah. stuff happens. Well, I'm honored to know you, honored to have you on the show today, and you have to promise you'll come on again, and I'll yeah. give you a, like a little list of things to uh, that we'll cover. It would be really yeah. great to have you back. So thanks again, Don. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, hugs for the family and continued success in your great, amazing company. Oh, thanks, Patrick. You're a good okay. man. Nah, you are. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Ciao, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. And remember, we are available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on your social accounts. If you have any favorite topics or special guest requests, please let us know. You can find our contact information in the show notes. And be sure to like, comment, and share the show with your friends. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.